You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW Talknet. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks as always for joining us this week. A lot to talk about today. Obviously, we have the terrible, terrible week in Afghanistan. Uh, the low being the loss of troops, 13 at least thus far. Uh, I'll talk about that and and uh, the effort that must be undertaken for accountability. Uh, we have new information about Fauci, his agency, the Gates Foundation, and China. Information that will blow you away. Major new development in our fight for election integrity and clean elections. A federal court has authorized one of Judicial Watch's key lawsuits to move forward to try, in our view, ensure cleaner elections. And plus, we have another cover-up at the Biden White House, this time over dog bites, believe it or not. Uh, just uh, the corruption is both high and low with the Biden administration. First up, obviously, is the terrible day for America that occurred with the, in my view, the foreseeable and needless loss of American lives due to a terror attack in Kabul at the airport. 13 Marines, I think uh, 12 Marines and one Navy Corpsman has been lost. Their lives have been lost, 15 injured. Uh, the number of you know, Danish civilians that have been lost is staggering. I think it's at 170 the last time I checked on the news. So this is a disaster. And it's all Joe Biden's fault. It's all President Biden's fault. Uh, we see it with... Um, uh, and again, it goes back. I want to take a step back here. There's nothing new under the sun here in Washington, D.C., especially when it comes to uh, the establishment's failures. And we saw during the Obama administration the Benghazi debacle that saw uh, those men lose their lives needlessly because of the fecklessness, the politicization and failures of leadership by Barack Obama, Joe Biden, obviously he was vice president, and Hillary Clinton. This same gang that made decisions that led to the needless loss of lives in Benghazi and a situation they lied about, the support for terrorists in Syria, the rise of ISIS, they're back at it in Afghanistan and we're seeing the results. So I warned you last week, it's one thing for you know, 20 years of failure, we're all being told uh, in terms of Afghanistan, and somehow you know, Joe Biden was just left what, you know, the last man in the game of musical chairs, and he loses. No, he's responsible because there are specific actions that were taken and could have even been taken within the last week to preserve American lives. When I see... Uh, uh, a Marine commander, a Marine general, I think he runs SETCOM, talking about how they were outsourcing the security of our troops to the Taliban. That's as shocking as anything I've heard from Joe Biden's mouth. And he's facing cognitive difficulties that are really quite apparent to us all. And now... Uh, we have dead Americans that didn't have to die. And let me, let me be clear. Whoever made a decision to place those troops in the situation they were in is responsible for those deaths. They knew the security was untenable. You can't have force protection while not providing, uh, while providing the services they were told to provide completely crazed, trying to let people come into the airport, separate bad guys from good guys, American citizens from Afghani friends and Afghanis who weren't friends. Completely untenable. So in order to have force protection and civilian protection, and let me be clear, the civilian loss of life is also on Joe Biden. Because he created basically a big fat target for our terrorist adversaries. And he took advantage of it. And they knew it was coming. They were warning. They were expecting an attack. 
And yet nothing it looked like was changed, at least sufficiently, because the proof is in the unfortunate demise of the 13 Americans. So don't be confused. Don't be distracted about ISIS-K versus the Taliban. No, you know who had a responsibility to make sure this didn't happen and who knew it could have happened and knew what steps needed to be taken to make sure it didn't happen? The president of the United States and all the people around him. And as I said, what's old is new again. In Benghazi, they outsourced security to the local militia. The February 17th Martyrs Brigade. Can you imagine an organization named that being tasked with the United States government to provide security? And there were attacks on the compound in Benghazi that were ignored, practically speaking, in terms of following up with necessary security measures. And the language was they were sitting, they were sitting ducks in Benghazi too. And that happened again in Kabul, but the consequences being even worse. Republic, some Republicans are actually talking about impeaching or removing President Biden. Certainly appropriate. There's more than enough reason even before this to impeach him or to at least begin an impeachment inquiry given the corruption involving Hunter Biden, his uh, reckless and uh, really purposeful disregard for the law as it relates to securing our border and enforcing our nation's immigration laws, his failure to follow his oath there, plenty of reasons to impeach him. But do you trust Congress to do the right thing here? I don't. I don't trust the Republican leadership to even say the right thing, let alone do the right thing. So what will happen? Judicial Watch will step in. Judicial Watch has already launched a series of Freedom of Information Act requests to figure out the truth behind what was going on in Afghanistan, because we're not being told the truth. We aren't being told the truth. And uh, we did it with Benghazi, and we're going to do it with Afghanistan, because Everything you know about Benghazi, by the way, is because of Judicial Watch, practically speaking. Everything you know about Benghazi uh, in terms of the select committee, there'd be no select committee but for Judicial Watch. The Clinton emails arose as a result of our Benghazi investigations. So we know what to do when Congress doesn't want to do its work. We know what to do when the media doesn't want to do its work. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in Afghanistan or necessarily what should happen. I don't think we should leave Americans behind. I don't think we should have had four or 5,000 or 6,000 troops in the middle of uh, the Kabul airport being asked to personally screen individuals in a chaotic situation like they were being asked. And this this needed to be directly brought forward uh, and not, not that I want to be in Afghanistan forever in a day like some people do. But if you're truly committed to leaving and you want to have a secure, a secure, uh, secure the lives and safety of Americans and others that we have a national interest in securing their lives of, meaning like interpreters and people like that. And you can't do it from the airport because it's unsafe. Then you take over the city again. We have the resources to do it, but they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to do that because of the political optics. And I'm sorry, but the military leadership that allowed their troops to be misused and abused and placed in harm's way with obvious risks to them that were borne out in bloody fashion this week, they should be removed as much as the president should be if we're gonna be thinking about impeachment. So the folks who gave you Benghazi gave you Afghanistan. And the reason we have this Afghanistan debacle, the loss of human life and the resulting national security disaster and the worst humiliation in American history is because the deep state and frankly, too many people in the Trump administration, including a former secretary of state who's on the news a lot now and the Justice Department refused to do anything about the Benghazi scandal. In fact, they fought us on it. 
and the courts mocked and ridiculed and blew up the FOIA law to protect Hillary Clinton. It didn't matter if the cover-up involved loss of human life. It didn't matter if the cover-up law involved the misuse of taxpayer resources to support terrorists in Syria, which was happening in Benghazi. We have the documents. And so why should it surprise us that it's happened again, except 10 times worse? Why should it surprise us? And what does Judicial Watch do? We have put the Freedom of Information Act litigation, uh, lawsuit, uh, excuse me, the Freedom of Information Act investigations. We've launched them and we're going to sue on court. So we'll have lawsuits, I suspect, before you have any substantial, quote, hearings by the Congress who let this happen. Yeah, and they let it happen. So I could go on and on. I'm sure you are as upset as I am about what happened in Afghanistan and what will continue to happen. Tens of thousands of refugees, who can count? I don't know, because we don't know what the numbers are, are coming into the United States unvetted, as if we're capable of vetting them. So don't believe the quote vetting would work either way. The large majority aren't, according to the numbers I've seen, aren't citizens coming out of Afghanistan or those with special immigration visas, the SIVs, the sorts of folks that we wanted to help initially. The large majority are fall into the general category of folks who just got on the plane being at the right place at the right time, we don't know. So the refugees are going to be settled in your town. I don't know if literally in your town, but places all over the Amer America. And you'll have to deal with it. Americans will have to deal with it. Joe Biden won't. Secretary of Defense won't. Secretary of State won't. Millie won't. You'll have to deal with the consequences. And I don't trust this administration to bring in one non-US citizen, not one. This lawless administration run by a man who, as I've said repeatedly, is not up to the task because of age-related cognitive decline. It's quite evident. Maybe there's some other reason for the cognitive decline, but certainly it's there. What a nightmare. But on the other hand, what is it we can do? We can have an impeachment inquiry. We can have leadership talking about the need for an impeachment inquiry, but don't expect that from Republicans. So if you're concerned about it, you need to communicate with your members of Congress about it. And then of course you have judicial watch to do the separate investigation and get the accountability. Because as I said with Benghazi, if we didn't do the Benghazi investigation, which, by the way, was the most significant non-governmental investigation in American history, the Judicial Watch Benghazi investigation. It led to President Trump. The consequences of it was that President Trump was elected and Hillary Clinton was not. So we're going to do it. And the least we can do is use the tools available to us under the law and the Constitution to try to get accountability for the people who put these Americans in harm's way and who, whose maladministration, to put it charitably, led to their needless deaths. We should pray for the victims, pray for their families, but we should be motivated to vindicate their sacrifice for us by making sure those who fecklessly put them in harm's way for political purposes knowing full well they should have known or could have known, they either knew or should have known, reckless disregard, whatever the language you want to use. And people talk about impeaching Biden, that's like a one of a half a dozen people who should be removed from office. But we'll do the basic heavy lifting again to figure out the full truth about what went on and, um, and, and do what we can to try to protect the troops that are there 
by holding this administration accountable, because I don't think we're going to be, practically speaking, leaving that region anytime soon. And, you know, this gang is going to be treating our troops like political playthings, and we can't let that happen. So we'll do what we can in terms of as a nonpartisan public educational foundation to both litigate and investigate. About what went on in Afghanistan, both yesterday, two weeks ago, and what I'm sure is likely to go on weeks from now. So it was a big news week for Judicial Watch. We had um, to, to kind of veer off. We had a major uh, uh, court ruling by a federal court in Colorado. Uh, in a lawsuit that we had brought against uh, Colorado officials over the dirty voting lists in Colorado. The National, uh, excuse me, yeah, the National Voter Registration Act uh, requires states to take reasonable steps to clean up the rolls. And what we do and we've done is use the law to sue the states who aren't cleaning up the rolls. It's never been done in American history till Judicial Watch did it to have private entities go in and enforce this federal law because the leftists at the Justice Department didn't want to do it. They don't, they don't want clean election rolls. And I don't need to tell you why. So Judicial Watch did it first in Ohio and in Indiana. We settled a lawsuit in California that's led to an ongoing cleanup of up to 1.6 million names from the rolls. It's a consent decree in Kentucky that could lead, I think, to a half a million names being cleaned up. But there were other states with dirty uh, voting rolls. Pennsylvania, North Carolina, I think between the two of them, they had 2 million extra names on the rolls, names that probably shouldn't be there. We sued those states in federal court, but that litigation's ongoing. In Colorado, Colorado's a mess. Let me look at this, the stats there. I mean, you're just not going to believe it. I don't even know how they can conduct fair and honest elections with these numbers. 2019 study that we conducted found that 40 of Colorado's 64 counties had voter registration rates exceeding 100% of the eligible citizen voting age population. The share of counties with registration rates exceeding 100% was the highest in the nation. So what does that mean? They have more voters on the rolls than there are people who are living there and eligible to vote. It's a pretty good indication they're not taking the steps necessary, don't you think, to clean up the rolls? Well, that's what we thought. Data that Colorado itself provided to the Election Assistance Commission, which is a federal agency, showed that Colorado was lagging in the processing and removal of certain classes of ineligible registrations belonging to those who had moved out of state. So meaning people moved and they were still on the rolls. In the last two years, 60 of California's 64 counties had a higher percentage of inactive registrations than the national median. So if the national median is here, Colorado's here. And inactive registrations are people who haven't participated in elections in years, who in their federal law should be subject to removal. And that's not being done. And for instance, in six Colorado counties, excuse me, in eight Colorado counties, more than one in six registrants weren't active. The lists are filthy. So Colorado came in and tried to shut our lawsuit down because we sued to clean up the rolls. I mean, and by the way, it doesn't mean rolls in the rest of the country are dirty, but these are kind of outliers that if we can't get these states to clean up the rolls, then we can never really deal with the states that um, have lesser problems, although significant if you're a voter in that state in terms of clean elections. So they tried to shut our case down. Of course, by the way, we're being challenged across the land by leftist organizations. So when we go into court, it's not just against the states or, or counties, government officials. We have the left trying to intervene, sometimes successfully, to try to thwart our litigation. So yeah, it's kind of like Judicial Watch versus George Soros in some of these cases, practically speaking. So 
So we filed this lawsuit back in 2020 uh, to clean up Colorado's roles. Uh, we filed it on our behalf and on the behalf of member residents of Colorado, people who support Judicial Watch, who are also voters out there. And the court said our case can proceed. Now, those of you who are not lawyers, and I'll warn you, I'm not a lawyer, so take, take my uh, description of the court process for what it's worth. You file a lawsuit, right? And um, the government, and this is typically federal litigation, the government has a period of time to respond. Now they can respond with either an answer, and an answer means the case just goes forward. They're answering the complaint, they're gonna defend it in court, or a motion to dismiss, or sometimes a motion for summary judgment, both of which would essentially end the case. So we survived and they rejected the Colorado's motions to dismiss the court. And in his court, the chief district court judge out there, Philip Rimmer, ruled that Judicial Watch's allegations about Colorado's voting list uh, were enough to allow the lawsuit to proceed. Judicial Watch claims the secretary, the secretary of state Colorado is not complying with the MVRA, the National Voter Registration Act. It's based on public records and statistical analysis. We insist that they've shown not only high registration rates, which they claim courts have found indicative, indicative of MVRA violation, but also that the secretary sends too few confirmation notices and has too high a number of inactive voters on the rolls. The court finds plaintiffs have met their burden and have plausibly alleged Colorado's list maintenance program does not comply with the MVRA. Now, he's not saying they were right. They're saying we have a case that's substantial enough that it should proceed and we should get discovery on it, practically speaking. And so, um, and I'm gonna explain what they mean by confirmation notices. And this is what's so frustrating about this. Essentially, if you're not voting, you should get a confirmation notice from your jurisdiction, your state or the county, whatever, saying, hey, are you still there? You didn't vote. And if you don't respond or otherwise don't vote for two federal general elections, meaning four plus years, they are, they are I think, under the law, the way the law has been interpreted, required to remove your name. But in California, they hadn't done that in 20 years. And evidently in Colorado, they're not doing their job either. So this is sort of basic list maintenance, minimal list maintenance, that Colorado evidently wasn't doing. And the court further ruled that the individual plaintiffs, Judicial Watch and Company, have standing to sue based on the fact that the non-compliance with the MPRA undermines the individual plaintiff's confidence in the integrity of the election process and discourages their participation in elections. That's a major ruling. That's a major rule. And it not only in my view applies to our efforts to clean up the rolls, but potentially other issues related to clean elections in terms of having standing to pursue this. So this is just great. This case is gonna go forward and I think it's gonna result in Colorado cleaning up its rolls. Maybe not as much as we like, but more than they would have without the federal lawsuit. And the Justice Department is going to do this. Justice Department is harassing states who are trying to increase voter security. Even if the vote, even if the voting rules are to are actually been expanded past where I would have, and where they were expanded past where they were prior to 2020, the leftists in the Justice Department are targeting states like Georgia and they're going to go after Texas. Texas is about to pass their voter security laws again, um, they're, going to they're going to pass them and they'll probably be signed over the next few weeks. Justice Department's going to go after them over that. So Judicial Watch is in court trying to make sure the elections are cleaner either next year or in 2024 or 2026. I mean, this is a long ball game, folks. And it may be frustratingly slow, but nothing is being done otherwise, nothing. And remember, people who would challenge the 2020 elections, the courts went after. This is radioactive for some courts, but you know, Judicial Watch 
we did this and we're still in court. And as um, we highlighted, as I highlighted, uh, uh, Bob Popper and Russ Nobile, who are two of our attorneys, Bob runs our election law team. We were, we were testifying to Congress four or five times over the left's attempts to hijack our elections on a nation, national basis through congressional legislation. So we're, we're the lead here. We are the lead. Now, we're obviously investigating what went on in 2022, so we haven't forgotten about that. But uh, you know, we, we just have to, we're just keeping on, keeping on. You know, just trying to get these laws filed. Uh, I mean, these lawsuits filed and pursued, so that your walls are cleaner. And it's and it's now more important than ever, because outrageously we are relying on these voter registration lists, which are notoriously dirty, to mass mail these ballots. Which is why I object to what actually Georgia was doing, because they made it more likely for people to use mail-in ballots. And I don't think the security measures are 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 make up for the lack of security for people mail dropping things in the mail rather than voting in person. Same in Texas. So you should watch that as it, your states go through election reform issues. Why, why are they codifying vote by mail? Well, I guess I'm getting distracted. But the point is we're in the litigation. Uh, people are voting by mail in increasing numbers. I think it's a terrible practice. But in the least, we need to make sure the roles are cleaner. No one else is doing it, but Judicial Watch, at least at the federal level. So it's great news. As I said in our release, dirty voting rolls can mean dirty elections. And you have a right, and certainly the citizens of Colorado specifically have a right to expect that the state's voting rolls, your state's voter roll, ro voting rolls are reasonably kept up to date. We're not asking for perfection. It's a, it's a mailing list. It's never going to be perfect. The federal law requires you take reasonable steps to clean up the rolls. And, and individually, you can ask your county and your state what they're doing to clean up the rolls. You have a right to ask under federal law, and they are supposed to respond to you. So. Look on our website for more information on how to do that and ask them directly. What are you doing to clean up the rolls? So there you go. And of course, support Judicial Watch's work. Boy, I tell you, um, there is no one doing as much as Judicial Watch is doing here in Washington, D.C. to uncover what the government's up to. And it doesn't matter the topic. We're involved in Afghanistan. We're involved in elections. We're involved in Biden gate, Obama gate, you name it, we're doing the investigation. Of course, we're doing COVID and Wuhan, uh, the Wuhan um, connection to COVID and Dr. Fauci and doing some basic oversight as it relates to that. We've gotten documents that no one else has gotten as it relates to China and COVID and Fauci's agency. It's just been incredible. And we just received a new batch of documents. We filed a lawsuit and because the Fauci's agency violated the law in refusing to turn over documents. So the next time you see Fauci on television talking about how wonderful he is, or hearing others talk about how wonderful he is, you can recall, or you should recall, that they were hiding documents from the American people, namely judicial law. And we're in federal court forcing them to turn over documents. These aren't voluntary disclosures. And we had asked for documents for records of communications, contracts, and agreements with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. We want grants that benefit the Wuhan Institute and the agency's response was, we can only give you 300 pages a month. Process them, which means we don't get all 300 pages. It just means they looked at them and they're gonna give us what they're gonna give us. So they're slow rolling the release of information, but nevertheless, we're getting it. And this new batch of material is really interesting. It raises questions about the Gates Foundation in China it raises more questions about Fauci's agency's monitoring and concern and funding for the Wuhan Institute. Some incredible material. Now, these are one of these releases where I'm gonna give you the highlights here. I can't read it all. It's too much. You won't be able to follow it. I won't be able to tra <laughs> translate it well because it's so much. 
But I encourage you to go directly to our website at judicialwatch.org to look at these new Wuhan documents, look at the release. And it's only, you know, as I said, they only gave us 129 of the 300 pages they were supposed to review. So it isn't that much to review. Uh, but obviously, I can't go through all 129 pages with you here, but I can go through the highlights. And I encourage you as a citizen to track what your government's up to by looking at the documents yourselves. And as our lead paragraph says, and this is a good way of summarizing it, the emails include a, quote, urgent for Dr. Fauci email chain, which cites ties between the Wuhan lab and the taxpayer-funded EcoHealth Alliance. You may remember that's the contractor that was getting money from the uh, Fauci's agency that was then giving projects and grants to Wuhan Institute. Government emails also report that the foundation of U.S. billionaire Bill Gates worked closely with the Chinese government to pave the way for Chinese-produced medications to be sold outside of China and help, quote, and, and quote, excuse me, and help, quote, raise China's voice of governance by placing representatives from China on important international councils as high-level commitment from China. Kind of awkwardly written, but Gates was helping the Chinese get on, quote, international councils. This is a government document that says that. It's all tied to Wuhan, too, because that's how we got the document. We didn't ask for the Gates Foundation. The new emails include a report from Dr. Ping Chang and Chen. Now, Dr. Chen was Fauci's, I guess, woman in Beijing, our man in Moscow, our man in London. He, 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 she was effectively a spy for our health agencies in China. And she left that spot. She was in the embassy. She had been to the Wuhan lab, interacted with all these officials. And she left, I think, three weeks before, uh, you know, the Wuhan pneumonia, as it was initially called, these documents show, erupted. So there's this email that says, urgent for Dr. Fauci, China's lab for studying SARS and Ebola in Wuhan. And we already gotten that email. And they noted it was a, there's a Daily Mail story talking about the Wuhan Institute and they were, and it was urgent. And what was Dr. Chen's response? You can ask Eric Stemme, who was a research program officer who's responsible for the funding in part, with a grant awarded to the EcoHealth in New York City, who collaborates with Dr. Xi. Xijin Gali in Wuhan Institute of Virology, who has been doing coronavirus research in the cave bats in China. Eric would know what exactly NIH funding supports. I visited her and others at the Wuhan. And now that Dr. Xi, I think is, I think that's the quote bat lady. I visited her and others at the Wuhan Institute in 2018 and visited its BSL-4 lab. And then there's a redaction. Also in 1983, NIH and Chinese, Acad Acad Chinese Academy of Sciences um, signed an MOU and it included sharing research materials. I know this a long time. And of course, Wuhan is underneath the Chinese Academy of Sciences. So they were partners. So everything you're concerned about Wuhan doing, it was because of our, it was enabled in part because of our partnership with them. NIH had a longstanding partnership with the folks who oversaw the Wuhan Institute. This is what, this is what we found. So no wonder there's all this back and forth and there are more of these emails in this email exchanges that we uncovered trying to get a handle on the funding. There's not much self-reflection. Should we have been doing? Oh no, we shouldn't have been doing this. Because as you know, the concern is about gain of function research. By the way, if you haven't, you should take a look at the Washington Post this week who details how Francis Collins who runs NIH and uh, Fauci who runs the National Institute of Allergic and Infectious Diseases, which is within NIH, basically did an end run around uh, requirements um, and um, 
you know, changes to procedures to kind of curtail this gain of function and check this gain of function research because it was so darn dangerous. And yet they did an end run around it. This isn't Dr. Rand Paul of the Senate going after Fauci on it. It's Washington Post documenting that Fauci has been misleading and or lying to you and to the Senate about his agency's support and promotion of gain of function research. This is separate and apart from Wuhan. Or one might argue, I think one really can't fairly argue that given you'll see the interconnected web here. Or at least 18 studies that were gain of function over a period of years, according to the Washington Post. One of them, what so you know, the, the notes were uh, or the post reported, they said, you know, this one one thing that they were talking about publishing, I mean, if someone followed up on it, it could eliminate 60% of the population or something. It was like a 60% fatality rate. One of the gain of function designed viruses. Complete nightmare. Dangerous, dangerous stuff. So they had good reason to worry about what they were doing with Wuhan. So I want to talk about, uh, as I said, you know, I, I don't mean to call her, she wasn't literally a spy, to be clear, uh, but she was acting as a spy when you read this. It's, it's kind of like this, I don't know, podunk spying on Wuhan. Now, we had talked about before how she had gotten in there and told them, Dr. Ping Sheng, that she couldn't take pictures of the inside, so she took pictures on the outside. Well, what they gave us was another part of that email chain. So three years before the Wuhan Institute is um, implicated or people have concerns about it, well, obviously with the development of uh, COVID-19, you know, the question is, did COVID-19 arise from an accident or something else out of the Wuhan lab, or did it arise naturally? And of course, Fauci and company, despite having concerns that it was not natural, and they were that's why they were asking about all the funding that we're uncovering here in Judicial Watch's litigation. I mean, in two, three years before the Wuhan Institute comes into the news because of COVID-19, uh, you can see the intense interest by Fauci's agency in its operations. So I said Ping Chen was Fauci's uh, woman on the ground, on the ground in, in Beijing. Um, and Chen writes in 2017, the Wuhan lab will be operational soon. The visit has been arranged through one of our grantees. I was uh, told only certain viruses can be worked in this lab and that's redacted. Uh, and I, a, a top official, Mr. Hanley responds, this is the key part. Please make a very careful and full report on what you learned during this visit. It will be a very important interaction and one that many are interested in. Please share your report with us before it goes into any other reporting. Does this sound like a spy operation? They were nervous and they were funding it at the same time. So I encourage you to read this material. When you see the research that NIH and Fauci's agency was funding, your, 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 your hair's gonna stand on it. Here's one example. University of Minnesota and the Chinese Academy of Sciences Institute of Virology Review of Origin and Evolution of Pathogenic Coronaviruses. Columbia University School of Public Health. They published a, a report a few days ago. This is this is found. This is January 26, 22nd, 2020. Columbia University of Public Health, Eco Health Alliance, and again the Chinese Academy of Sciences Institute of Virology, published a few days ago on the results of surveillance of human-animal interactions and bat coronavirus spillover potential rural southern China. Again. Wuhan Institute of Virology, studying the coronaviruses and wild animals focusing on bats in China. Heavily redacted email describing it. All of this around the time coronavirus is emerging. I call it coronavirus. It's COVID-19 into the world. Now, next up is the Gates Foundation. 
I didn't know the Gates Foundation was going to be involved here. I know a lot of people are concerned about the Gates Foundation's oversized role in public health policy. Uh, Bill Gates knows as much, as much about public health policy as I do. Now, that may be unfair to Bill Gates, probably studies it a little bit more than I do, but you know what I mean. He's a computer guy. He's not a public, he's not a med, he's not a doctor. He's not a biologist. He's not, a, he's not an epidemiologist. He's a layman who has an interest in this area. And, and uh, you know, money that to spend on the issues he cares about that is can only be matched by government entities in terms of size and not many. You'd have to go to, you know, you have to go to, he probably has budgets bigger than many countries, his foundation. So they met with them in China. She quote, attended a Belt and Road high level meeting for health cooperation towards a health Silk Road. Of course, all China, right? And this was in 2017. It was a situation report. Last week, USAID, which is the other big funder of Wuhan, the CDC, and the Environmental Science, Technology, and Health. I'm not quite sure if that's a Chinese or other agency. I think it's a US agency. And I met with the Gates Foundation. We initially planned to talk about global malaria eradication efforts to see if there's any area we can work together. But we ended talking in general Chinese policies and the foundation's current strategies in China. Capacity building to help China raise its national standards and leverage China's resources to help others. One of the examples for raising the national standards is to help China FDA for its reform. Gates Foundation has managed to work out a mechanism with China FDA to provide funding to China FDA for placing experienced Chinese Americans who had worked at US FDA for many years to work in China FDA as senior consultants. On the approach for leveraging China's resource to help others, Gates Foundation is working with Chinese government on donations to its neighboring countries and African countries such as anti-malaria medications, bed nest diagnostics, etc. More specifically, it helps Chinese companies to gain pre-qualification of medications so that Chinese company manufactured drugs can be sold outside of China. Helps the Chinese to establish bilateral collaboration with specific countries in Africa, teaches the Chinese how to do resource mobilization, helps raise China's voice of governance by placing representatives from China on important international councils at high level commitment from China. Well, how do you like them apples? The Gates Foundation is working hand in glove with the Chinese government to help advance its interests increase its leverage and talking about it with the Fauci's agency's person, Dr. Shen. So triple, triple. So whenever you hear about the US complaint about China's health policies and FDA, I mean, we're, we're working hand in glove. And the Gates Foundation is acting like as an agent for the country, it looks like. Is there gonna be a Foreign Agent Registration Act investigation into Bill Gates given this document? I doubt it. Pretty incredible. I don't know. I, 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 we put this material out. I don't know if the Gates Foundation has responded to it, but I want an explanation. Unbelievable stuff. So I encourage you to go ahead and look at all of this. There's so much here I can't get into right here, but it is further confirmation. And I'm going to use my quote to summarize it. The emails provide extraordinary and troubling information about Fauci's agency's partnership with China and its monitoring concerns and funding for the Wuhan Institute. They're spying on it while funding it. Don't you love it? The Gates Foundation should also explain the government report. This is a government report. This is not someone, again, a senior official for the US government in China. 
who wrote the report about assistance to and advocacy for China. I want explanations. I want an investigation, don't you? So there are more records coming. We've exposed more than anyone else has on what's going on with China and Fauci and WHO and all the rest and COVID. And there's more coming. So I encourage you to keep on track with our work. And as I said, go to our website at judicialwatch.org to read, read all the documents, read all the documents. So oftentimes in government, you find corruption at the high level with the destruction of Afghanistan and at the low level with the lying about, relatively speaking, petty things, but I don't think this issue is necessarily petty, but the corruption usually is endemic. And uh, we found this to be ca the case with a Secret Service lawsuit that we had filed. It was against the Department of Homeland Security, the Secret Service as a sub-agency, about Joe Biden's dogs biting agents. And when we filed the lawsuit, of course, the liberal media made fun of us because how dare us ask any questions. Our concern was that we had federal agents, law enforcement personnel who are risking their lives to defend the president, his family, visitors to the White House complex, him and others who are being injured and we don't know the details about. So we sued and I frankly couldn't believe the material we got. It's even worse than we thought. And we now know that the Biden White House was covering up the extent of what was going on. This is the headline. Secret service records show Biden dog major, remember he had two dogs, major and champ, repeatedly bit Secret Service personnel at least six times by my count, six times. We were only told about one or two incidents by Jim Psaki, the White House spokesman. One email notes that the current rate, an agent or officer has been bitten every day this week. It was between the week of, first week of March, the first through the eighth, causing damage to a tire or bruising punctures to the skin. So damage to a tire meaning they tore something. Documents show that agents were advised to protect their, quote, hands and fingers by placing them in their pockets. Photos of the dog bite injuries, of course, were withheld. They have pictures of the injuries. They didn't want to turn those over to us. So they were produced this week in response to a Judicial Watch FOIA request and lawsuit. And um, I mean, the documents are just, just awful in the sense that they describe you know, poor major who is probably a good dog, but you know, obviously he can't be at the White House or shouldn't have been at the White House. And he should have been kept away from people a lot sooner than he was. One email attached, this is a March 8th email, attached are a couple of photos from the dog bites SA special agent Wank had received the last week from the first family's pet major. And they go through all the bites. The bite caused some bruising. I see in the picture, the bite caused bruising and a puncture to the skin. I mean, we've all had dogs and we've probably had or are aware of or verna to dogs that are out of control and major was out of control. And a dog that punctures the skin is a dog that is, you know, it's, it's a major issue. Another email, sirs, we had another dog bite incident this morning. This is the second time, the second time the poor guy had been bitten. Another person was bitten twice on the arm. And that's an attack. I mean, imagine your arm getting, I mean, I, I, I think back to, you know, those videos you sometimes see of dogs being trained, attack dogs and security dogs being trained and the, and the guy is wearing a padded, um, you know, uh, pads, and they, the dog comes in and grabs the pad to be trained. That's what the poor guy suffered, or gal, I don't know. Poor Champ didn't make it out. There's a funny line in there about Champ uh, doing some business in the White House carpet. One of the incidents, by the way, occurred while the dog was under... Um, control of the uh, of, of, uh, of the protectee, which I take the mean president, but Biden, this is the question. Who was minding the pets? Protected 
or residence usher staff, residence slash usher staff, agent response protectee usher was there as well. So it happened in front of the president or Jill. I don't know if the protectee is Jill or the president. I mean, Doc, yeah, Jill Biden, the vice the first lady. For your situational awareness, White House Medical Unit responded to the South Portico a short time. Uniform report, uh, Uniform Division White House report of a pass holder with a dog bite. Got treated in the doctor's office. So the emails go on and on like this. You know, and as I said, I'm sure Major is a good dog. I'm sure Major is a good dog. Uh, but these records show he was involved in many more biting incidents than the Biden White House has publicly acknowledged. And it's disturbing to see a White House cover-up of numerous injuries to Secret Service and White House personnel by the Biden family pet. And, you know, the New York Post covered this story. And uh, I don't know if we're going to be able to get the clip, but, you know, hopefully we can get it in here. So I don't know if it's run or not. But as you can see, or will see, uh, Jennifer Basaki was asked about this. Uh, and, you know, the reporter was making the clip point is, if, you know, if you lie about the small stuff, why should we believe you on the big stuff, meaning Afghanistan? And of course, she, as you saw, or we'll see that she sloughed off the question. She thought it was not an important question. And I'm sure the reporter is going to get attacked for asking, daring to ask about this cover up. But you had a numerous, numerous Secret Service agents injured by this poor dog. And they covered it up and we uncovered it. So just a little mini scandal in the Biden White House that kind of tells you about the way they think. People get hurt and they lie about it or cover it up. And law enforcement got hurt and they lied about it and covered it up. And yes, you don't have to you can you can by omitting facts that is lying if the facts are material lying by omission so that's what happened here and of course it's judicial watch that did the basic work on this new biden scam so with that pray for our troops in afghanistan pray for innocence our citizens in afghanistan pray for the families of those who have been killed and injured and obviously pray for, you know, any innocent in Afghanistan who now faces life threats to life, limb and whatever modicum of freedom they've had, thanks to Joe Biden. And pray for America, because our national security is at significant and heightened risk because of uh, Joe Biden's uh, bumbling, corruption and incompetence. Uh, so uh, hopefully, uh, you know, with the, the damage uh, is not as serious as it, it could very well be. So let's pray that we're protected. Uh, thank you and have a wonderful week. And I'll see you here next time on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.